1: Hello, one and all, and a warm welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference, and to the first episode of Series 8. Can you believe it? I can't. I'm Joe Haddow and wherever you are in the world, it's a pleasure to have you with us, whether you're a new listener to Book Off or one of our old friends. And if you've never listened before, well, Let me tell you what we do here. We invite two authors onto the podcast to talk about their work, their writing, their lives as writers, and they then go head to head in the book off. This is where each guest will get three minutes and no longer, mind you, to pitch us a book that they love and think that we should all read. And after hearing both pitches, I will then decide which book wins. You, of course, might have a different opinion so let's meet our two authors on this first episode of series eight my first guest today is the author of two poetry collections and four novels his writing has appeared in various literary journals and entertainment weekly listen to him as one of their 10 new hollywood next wave people to watch ladies and gentlemen here to tell us about his brilliant new novel hell of a book it's jason mott hello hey how's it going really well lovely to have you with us and I'm a big big admirer of your headphones there Jason which I think we'll come to talk about (laughs) very shortly Uh, and my second guest is a critic journalist and author who is a contributing editor at Harper's Magazine she's known for her hilarious pieces about Britney and one of my faves Werner Herzog Uh, and her work has featured in the New Yorker the Paris Review and the New York Times here to tell us about her debut novel The Life of the Mind it's Christine Smallwood hello and welcome to you
3: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: It's my absolute pleasure. Uh, We can't all be in the same room because of something called COVID, but um, I should do the uh, virtual introductions. Jason, Christine, Christine, Jason. Hi, Jason. Hey, good to meet you. And uh, you're both joining us uh, from America. I'm over in London in the UK. Um, Christine, you're in Brooklyn. How is it over there?
3: Um, It's... uh nice out today a little overcast but you know no rain so that's good
1: um and what about you jason where do we find you
2: I am in Wilmington, North Carolina, so southeastern North Carolina, where it is hot and humid all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> no change there. Nope, never. And
1: uh, coming back to those headphones, I mean, I thought I had some pretty snazzy uh, headphones going on, but you
2: you have uh, I think you win the prize already on, on the headphones. Yeah, I tried to find the there. biggest headphones I could find, so these are winning the contest, but they, they're really good quality though, so it's like, eh, why not? <laughs> they look comfy is what well. They look like, the, you know, you could just spend all day in them yeah they are they definitely are they're for like you know (laughs) music primarily but they work great for interviews as well so um
1: well as I said over the next sort of 40 minutes or so we're going to talk about both of your books which I absolutely loved I can't wait to get into a discussion about them and we're going to hear what you've been reading lately and get to the book off a little later on um so Jason if I could start with hell of a book um because there's there's a there's a mention of radio interviews in the book and how the cadence of the questions and answers are all the same so i'm going to try and be pretty original for you okay what's your book about there you go
2: <laughs> I'm so yeah no, that's great that's great i love it so <laughs> So Hell of a Book is the story of an author on Book Tour. Uh, he's just written a really large book, and he's traveling around the U.S. trying to go about the business of selling his book and doing interviews and meeting readers. And along the way, he meets this 10-year-old boy known simply as The Kid. And the kid keeps appearing again and again at these locations, and the author begins to wonder if he's actually real or not. And then there's also in the news this discussion of this young boy who's been shot by police. And the author is trying to discover, is this kid somehow that same boy? There's a lot of blurring of reality and fiction in the novel, um, but the author ultimately comes into this discussion about race in America and black identity and black lives in America.
1: And you said, you, you sort of used the word blurred there. I I read it as a sort of blurred fiction in the sense that it, it's also, I, I read a letter to a
2: sort of younger you as well? Yeah, very much so. Um, it was definitely me, like there's, it's a fiction, it's not the like fiction heading, but it is semi-autobiographical in a lot of ways. Um, so the the project was me really trying to come to grips with what my life in America as a black man has been and like all the different points and how it has changed and affected me. So it was me kind of talking to that younger version of myself, trying to explain to him all the things that he's going to have to learn to, to deal with and make it find his peace with as he moves through life. So that's kind of how it worked.
1: Uh, and I want to come back. I want to talk about. Uh, well, many things. Well, 1994 being one of them. Um, um, before I do that, Christine, uh, "The Life of the Mind" is—I um, mean, it's a very powerful book. Uh, both of these books are, um, and I want to also discuss the uh, the powerfulness of both of these, but with the humour as well, which is which is something we'll discuss later. Um, but it opens on this sort of no holds barred description of a miscarriage and it just the first few pages had me just not knowing what to do if I'm honest Christine
3: did you want to put it down
1: no I don't think I did but I did I sort of I suppose I thought I could skip a few paragraphs
3: <laughs> yeah I mean I I'm always like I and definitely you know I mean thought, that like,
1: you know I, I don't mean that negatively right
3: Oh, no, yeah, no. I mean, I, I figured if people could get past the first, like, 15 pages, then they might finish the book. But I definitely figured some people would put it down. I was on a family group chat with my um, husband's family when the book came out, and um, uh, you know, his uncle sent a text to like, you know, I don't even know who was on this chat. There were like fifteen phone numbers, and I don't even know <laughs> whose phone numbers they were. And he was like, "So excited for Christine's book! I'm, we're going to start it tonight." And then no one ever followed up on the chat again.
1: That was it. Was it? And that I was, was like, the last.
3: Oh, I guess I was like, I guess Uncle Max didn't get past the first page. That's okay. I mean, it happens.
1: <laughs> so was that was the sort of um part of the intention there then to almost to ensure that the reader was you know, was ready for the rest of the book? Is that is that why you did
2: it?
3: I mean, I would like to say I had a reason, but it was more that the um the novel began as a short story, and the short story was really just the first 12 pages. I mean, when I went back, after I had continued on and kind of tried to make it into a novel, I did go back and have to like edit, obviously, and and move some things around. But Mm. it just began there, because that's where it always began. And so it, um, I wasn't, you know, it doesn't bother me if people don't want to keep reading, but it wasn't like an attempt to shock or something like that.
1: No, and it's, and it's also very important, to the story, which we'll come on to as well. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Jason, how? where did the sort of germ of the idea for Hell of a Book come from then? Was it always going to be a novel or was it potentially gonna be nonfiction?
2: Yeah, it was always gonna be a novel. Um, so it, kind of, it started back in 2013 when my first novel, The Return came out and I was on book tour for that for almost two months. It's really hectic, bizarre, wild kind of process. <laughs> And it was also very comedic, and so I wanted to write a comedy about an author on book tour to kind of poke fun at publishing and poke fun at like the book tour process. Um, so I wrote it. And is it wrote really a as grueling as you uh, you write it? Oh God, it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like physical book tour is the most insane process ever. We just um, think it's probably quite glamorous to be like I'm swanning from hotel no, to hotel. To- there's <laughs> no glamour anywhere involved in the process. It is it is a new hotel in a new city every day for weeks. You don't get to eat anything. You don't get to see anything. You don't get to hang out with friends. It's just place to place to place constantly. There was a period of like, I think it was like, I went 13 days on the road without ever coming home. Then I came home and I was home for 16 hours and then back on the road again for another week. Um, And like I said, people people are like, oh man, you went to Philadelphia. I was like, I think I did. Like I went to some city that might've been Philadelphia, but I was only there for like 10 hours. So who knows where I was? So, yeah, I wanted to kind of capture that insanity and that kind of craziness into a novel. Um, and then it eventually evolved into this discussion about race as, um, you know, there was just so many strings of shootings and so much in the headlines that I wanted to kind of figure a way to talk about that. So it became this comedy drama about, you know, authors and about America. So,
1: <laughs> Which I just think is not only incre- incredibly clever, but just incredibly important as well, because I think we we have... To have a, the serious journalism about these problems, we have to be able to watch these news reports to to sort of know what's going on. Yet, I think this way of talking about it is is just really refreshing and and just as important. Do you do you think the same?
2: Yeah, I think yeah. You know, it was definitely my goal. It's like I didn't want to. I mean, it was such a heavy topic for me as a writer. Like, I didn't want to bury myself because there were times when, like, the writing got really difficult because it's such a difficult kind of topic. Yeah. Um, that the comedy actually helped me as a writer with my emotional state because I, I wanted to write, have some days of writing where I actually just laughed at what was going on. So the comedy became a, a way to help me get through it. And eventually, I hope that would help the reader kind of get through it as well. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it was just fun also being as absurd as I wanted to be for a while. Like, So many of my novels before have been rather grounded. And so this one, it felt good to just go completely over the top. And scenes that like, I was like, there's no way this, my editor let this stay in here. And then somehow it just stayed. It's like, oh, awesome. So it was just a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was, I'm so glad you also had fun writing it. Although I imagine, yes, parts of it were hard because it is also so fun to read, I think. And that's, and and I'm so glad that that was part of the process for you. Christine, we, we've we've mentioned, I think, Dorothy, who is the protagonist of your novel. Just just tell us how she came about and and a little bit about her for those that haven't read this book yet.
3: Okay, so my book is about a woman named Dorothy, who's an adjunct professor. So she's finished her PhD in English and she's now kind of um, looking for a job. You know, every year applying on the job market and and not finding anything, and. Um, And then the book is set sort of in the direct aftermath of her miscarriage. So the kind of miscarriage she has is, um, you get this information kind of retrospectively, but it's, um, so she's already had the miscarriage and then, but she's continuing to bleed. So when we meet her, she's in like day six of of this kind of ongoing bleeding. And so the book is really about um, her sense of things ending, but never really being over and kind of what it feels like to live in that place of kind of limbo, both with her professional precarity, um, her body. And then there's like, you know, all of us living in 2021, spent a lot of time thinking about climate and the fate of, (laughs) you know, I learned recently, um, I learned recently that it took thousands of years for the dinosaurs to go extinct. Maybe you guys already knew this. Uh, But I was reading a book with my older son and I was it just really crystallized something for me because I was like, oh, okay, so this is taking thousands of years like that's what this is. This is our thousands of years of going extinct. And that really is kind of what my book is about, which makes it sound very heavy. Um, I think it is. It also tries to to be fun with these totally light themes about yeah. precarity and miscarriage and the end of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, that's it.
1: Yeah. I mean
3: buy my book. <laughs> uh,
1: the thing is you see, you you're talking about it and yeah I'm smiling because it it isn't, you know, the, the, it, there's it, it well, here's a question for both of you really because I think that, you know there's there's a sort of brutality to both books and there's a there's there's serious themes and messages in both of them and yet they're just in, they are enjoyable to read and there is a sort of wit and a humor to them so a question for both of you Jason I'll ask you first would this book have ever been written without the humor do you think
2: yeah I mean I think it I would argue that the book has already been written without the humor I think there are because the conversation like I'm not bringing anything new to the table I think I'm trying to present a new perspective to this conversation Um, But the actual conversation itself has been, you know, it's a conversation that's been written about for decades, you know, hundreds of years, honestly, of American history. It's a conversation about black people in America and the faith that they have. Um, So, yeah, it, it already exists without the humor. But that was where I wanted to make it different and make it unique in adding in that humor, which became a very, again, part of my kind of spin on life and my spin on the topic to add that part of me into it. So, yeah.
1: And and Christine, same same for you because oh. this would have been a very different book without that. Yeah, w- I mean, wit. it's
3: funny. Like, I don't I don't really know how funny it is. Like, I'm I'm <laughs> I get a lot of different feedback about the book. Like, some people find it really funny, and I think some people find it really depressing. And um, that's like a, a sweet spot for me, you know, like where true despair meets meets comedy. And but while I was writing it, I have to be honest, I wasn't trying. Like I was trying to make the character extremely vulnerable and she's kind of cringy. And like, so I just kind of just went towards that as like hard as I could. And then it turned out that the result was this like thing that's fun to read and that's funny. Hmm. Um, And so I wasn't like, it sounds like Jason kind of enjoyed Writing his book is that right? Yeah, like I didn't enjoy <laughs> writing my book. I was, very, <laughs> I felt extremely abject while writing it. It was also my first book, which maybe is a, is a totally different experience. Um, uh, so the kind of stakes of like failure felt really like pressing, and but maybe those stakes are always there. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just saying that I'm glad that people find it funny. I do when I read it out loud, giggle. Mm. But while I was writing it, I wasn't like like oh, this is like a great moment. You know, <laughs> I was more just like, am I describing like the shame and humiliation of this as concretely and specifically as I can?
1: Yeah, and actually, it's interesting you're talking about uh, that because I think it. De- I think depending on who reads the book and where they're coming from, Dorothy will read as a different character, as either someone who's perfectly normal or someone who's like a bit dysfunctional. And I wondered if that was sort of part, that was part of her creation
3: yeah i mean i thought she was perfectly normal but i have learned that she was actually like deeply dysfunctional (laughs) and and, um maybe like a narcissist or just like a lot of interest it's just really interesting like again like jason i think has a lot more experience with this but putting a book into the world you really do learn a lot about what's there in it
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i I totally agree with that it's funny like i want to just want to say like i don't think anyone ever enjoys writing a novel i think it's impossible (laughs) to enjoy writing a novel (laughs) Like there are definitely moments that I like working on a hell of a book. There were, again, there were days that were fun, but it's, it's like saying, you know, there were days of clearing in like the winter of whatever right. it's like, it's just right. this horrible winter you're in for months and right. you get like two sunny days. It's like, oh yeah, that was a good day. Right. right. Um, but yeah, like getting a book out into the world, I know for me is very strange because it, and I think it never gets less strange. Um, Cause yeah, like you said, you have this vision of who the characters are and how you see them and how you think readers are going to see them. And then your readers get back to you and they're like, oh no, this character is insane, or this character did this. I can't I can't believe the character was actually doing this. And you're like, wow, what does that say about me that I totally I see this as totally fine and totally normal? And other people are freaking out, or like it's like, oh, okay, something interesting there.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: There is
1: something about it, you know, a book going out into the world though, because and I've had this conversation with with a lot of authors when they say, you know, it really is sort of then out of your hands mm-hmm. by the by the fact that you've you've written it. And you've said what you wanted to say, or you know, but how it's perceived and the different reader, you know, it's like that's you can't do anything about that, right? That's just the way it is.
2: Yeah, it's never isn't and that's I think that's one of the the tenets and like one of the big secrets of writing is that like every reader and one of my one of my writing mentors told me this, and I found it to be very true. He said every reader comes to the page, and the first question they ask is, "How is this actually about me?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is what they always look for in the books that they read and things they read. It's like it's not. It's never about what the author wants it to be about. It's about them as the reader and their life and how does it talk to their lives. And that's how you get that personalization where you said X, but the reader goes, No, I saw Y, and this is actually about Y, and I've decided that forever now. It's so
3: true. <laughs>
2: and you kind of just go, Yeah, right. Okay, that's yeah. Cool. <laughs> you, just, you have to. You have to.
3: Yeah, and then the you know a great book, many people can find themselves in it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely right. Um, I referenced 1994 earlier because it's referenced in the book, Jason, as uh, being a good year. And you know, I love just uh, think back to that that time when I was young and buying music and not having to worry about anything. I was like, "Yeah, man, that was a great year, 1994." And then hearing <laughs> <laughs> then hearing uh, you talk, Christine, about sort of the extinction of uh, dinosaurs, and I said, "This is this is what this is literally what happened the other day, right?" I was looking out of the window of my flat. Um, It had been sunny. Uh, I mean, it is August when we're recording this. It had been sunny, and then it turned into a sort of biblical shower. And it had been doing this for the last few days. And I um, turned to my wife, and I said, the planet is dying. (laughs) And it was like, (laughs) I just don't know where it came from. And we were like sort of half laughing at my doom, and just from nowhere. But equally, it was like, yeah, I think... I think it's a strange time to be alive.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we know so much. It's such an interesting time to be alive, right? I mean, the dinosaurs, I thinking about this dinosaur thing a lot, you know, like, on some level, <laughs> of course, they knew that their climate had changed, right? I mean, they had to, like, by instinct, move to different areas, like eat different kinds of food, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we have, you know, of course, our like punishment of consciousness and we have to like actually know everything that's happening. And it's just, it's a really interesting, scary, but also kind of neat position to be in. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think... um it's interesting. I think about the dinosaurs. I did not know that fact, so thank you for teaching me that. It's really interesting because you know your brain just like the meteorite hit, then a week later everybody's dead. It's like no,
3: no. Do you know how it <laughs> happened? I'll tell you. So actually, so the meteorite hit, and then it threw up these huge clouds of dust mm-hmm. that blocked out the sun, mm-hmm. and so it took like a really long time for the plant eaters to. So the plant eaters all died out, and then the meat eaters died out, right? Although, of course, like some of them didn't, and that's why we have birds and like blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But like that that process just took many many generations of these huge they were so big also yeah they were so big
2: that's fascinating (laughs) um (laughs) so i will speak to to, yeah to joe's point like the idea of um i i know i think i'm always kind of a little bit so there's this idea that like things are worse now than it ever has been and i think it's think no i think i think existence human existence has always been challenging like we it feels more magnified because we're living through it it's like it's happening to you and it's happening to me so it's like obviously you look at human history it's like oh things were so much simpler then it's like no things were never simple like you can you can you can walk outside your house right now with the light on and yet maybe there's a certain degree of danger a certain night but like you're not gonna get raided and pillaged by vikings or anything weird like that like you know the monastery is not gonna get burned down tomorrow like there are all these things that we think of as oh things are so much simpler then and then you actually go back in time and you've got romans you know in around 200 300 bc you got roman writers saying how oh things were simpler back then and it's like oh, things have never been simple
3: <laughs> <laughs> back in the ice <laughs> age yeah, and all exactly. we had was hand-to-hand combat <laughs> exactly. tiger. good days yeah. are
2: just with a stone and a <laughs> stick trying to make fire and it's like yeah those are great times
3: <laughs> yeah
2: but you're so right and actually
1: i just because i was a kid in like 94 I, I romance it a bit because you know it, i was i didn't have any worries i didn't really know what was going on in the outside world i just i just wanted to know when i could afford my next record that i could listen to like 50 times you know and so it's funny yeah you're, you're right and but people who were adults in 94 and sort of living it mm-hmm. probably are like at the time thinking oh god i wish i lived in the 60s you know <laughs> <laughs> um and just the last word on dinosaurs for, for now. Um, I uh, just the other night watched this uh, making of on, on Netflix about Jurassic Park, the film, and I loved it. And it also reminded me just how amazing Jurassic Park is. So if, if you're in a dinosaur phase at the it's moment, really Christine, yeah. check this thing out on, on, uh, on Netflix of the making of uh, Jurassic Park.
3: Oh, well. <laughs> I definitely will. <laughs> what a film. Um
1: <laughs> I always like to ask my guests uh what they've been reading lately because um uh, we we as writers are also readers of course. Um and I know that, that that when you're writing sometimes you you choose different things but um is there something an author a book more than one that you've been reading recently that you want to tell us about Jason what have you been reading?
2: Um so I've, so, I've been reading, I I tend to reread a lot of old things. Um, but like I read Mateo Scarpore's Black Buck a few months ago, and that was really, really good. Um, yes. love that a lot. Uh, the other thing I've been yeah. reading a lot is what the book I'll talk about during, during the book off period, the book I want to defend and argue for. So, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I, I honestly, I reread a lot of old stuff. So, I read a lot of John Gardner again recently, um, a lot of, um, Baldwin, James Baldwin re- read a lot of his works about you know the black space in America and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think that's where I am right now with reading. I, I don't read a lot of new stuff, but I read a lot of old stuff.
1: And that's that's interesting. I've been I've definitely been delving. I mean, I read a lot of new stuff, and thank goodness because it means I've I've got to read your two novels. But I also delve, uh, you know, back into a lot of maybe sort of forties fifties stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as well at the moment. And I think there's a there's a strange escapism about that, maybe, that I need. I don't know. Talking about, you know, romanticizing the, the past, I guess. Uh, that, that's what I get from those older books.
2: Yeah, I think for me, um, so part of the reason why I reread familiar things is when I'm writing new material, like if I read new stuff while I'm writing new stuff, it bleeds in, and I try to prevent that by reading stuff that I know. Yeah. Like, it's like comfort food. Just read the things you know, and it, it, the things there that bleed in are very different so I try to kind of isolate myself when I'm reading, when I'm writing something new. So that's a lot of why I don't read too much new stuff, because I'm always writing something. But again, like um, Black Buck was probably the last thing I read that was new, and I, I just love that one.
1: It was great. It's really good, isn't it? What about you, Christine? What have you been reading?
3: Uh, um, let me think. So I recently wrote a review of Tao Lin's new novel. So I was reading Tao Lin's other books for that. So like I read Trip for the first time, which is his book about psychedelics, which is really interesting. And um, I went back and I read Taipei, and then his new novel, which is called Leave Society. And I thought that was an interesting experiment. Um, And then the other book, let's see, I read, I was very fortunate to get a sneak peek at uh, Sally Rooney's new novel, Beautiful Worlds, Where Are You, which is coming out here in the fall, which I loved. So I read that in galleys and thought it was just such a treat. Just, just like, just a delight, really. I just loved it. And, um, and then I am reading Miranda July's novel, The First Bad Man, from like five or six years ago, <clears throat> which I really like. And I never read it before, but it has a therapist character. And my novel has two therapist characters. And I was like, wow, I'm really glad I didn't read this Miranda July book before, because I think it would have scared me out of writing my own uh therapist characters um and oh, so right. but it was but it's delightful to encounter them in this other but I feel like the book kind of speaks to me in different ways but I'm really you know how sometimes if you read something at the wrong time then it will actually be like an obstacle instead of yeah. enabling um, so but I am um, liking it
1: So unlike what what Jason was saying was sort of like you know not reading you know new books whilst writing in case that influences into the page you you were saying that if you'd read Miranda July's book perhaps you wouldn't have written those characters
3: Yeah, I think I would have felt like, oh, someone already did this, which is silly because, of course, somebody has already written a therapist character in a contemporary novel. (laughs) But somehow, like, not knowing about this particular therapist character, I could just sort of, like, ignorantly go on my way, you know, making my my little jokes, you know. Um, And now I can, you know, enjoy this other. I wish that my therapists could meet this therapist and all, like, get together in some, you know, metafictional party, but... I guess I'll write a short story about that and send it to The New Yorker. I don't know. There you go.
1: That's that's exactly what I was going to say. I'll be looking out for it in The New Yorker. Um, Jason, you uh, said that, you know, you got the idea for Hell of a Book when you were on your sort of first book tour uh, around the States. And I wondered if that has been different for this book, obviously, because we have been living through this pandemic we're doing so many things virtually
2: have you been out and about with the book or has it all been online no yeah this book tour has been really weird um I mean different I won't say weird but it's been very different just because it has been completely virtual like I have not done any in- in-person appearances my publisher is still very leery of sending me back out um, sending any authors out on the road which I totally agree with like especially now like, there's there's cases rising again it's all getting very weird again um so yeah, it's, it's been different. Like there is, there's a positive component to it in that is you get to access a lot more people in different ways. Like the virtual events, I think you actually get more people to actually come out to virtual events. Cause it's just clicking on something rather than being at a certain place in time. And yet at the same time, I really miss meeting readers face to face. Like there's nothing like shaking someone's hand and talking to them about writing and talking to them about your book in person. Like there's yeah. nothing like that.
1: Yeah. Cause of course, at the end of a virtual event now the positives as you say is that they become global events mm-hmm. essentially because if someone's read your book in Australia they can still come to the event by that click but what you don't get is often at the end of in- person events there's a there's a signing part and there's you know people come up to meet you to get the book signed and you have that interaction and stuff and that it, at the end of a virtual event it's kind of like bye you know and then the <laughs> screen goes and that's you know it's a
2: bit. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It's just there's pros and cons. Yeah, course. yeah, I'm hoping that I'm curious, I'm hoping that by next year I'll be able to go and payback comes out, I'll be able to actually go on physical book tour again and meet people. I mean, cuz after, you know, a year and a half in quarantine now, we're all just dying to meet people again and just yeah. be around people, I think. So, hopefully things will get better.
1: I tell you what though, you're going to be even more tired than you were from the first one <laughs> because we're so out <laughs> of practice. Exactly. You're going to be knackered. Well, I hope you make it over here. Come and see us in the UK. That'd be great. I hope so too. Thanks. Um, And before we do the book off, Christine, are we allowed to just talk about Werner Herzog very quickly?
3: Oh, Oh, please do. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I I think the piece that you're referring to, I wrote 11 years ago. So (laughs) I'm not sure what I can say. Why don't you tell me what you think about Herzog?
1: (laughs) I would just wanted to... The only reason I bring him up is because uh, I've, I'm have i a sort of... Do you know Werner
2: Herzog, Jason? The, oh, the yes. Okay. I'm a massive Herzog fan. Like, right. Very much so.
1: Then we... Okay. Then this is brilliant because I have only really got Herzog over the last few years. Right? And I've seen interviews with him from the 70s, 80s, and then I've seen more recent ones. And I've watched some of those classic Herzog movies. And I've watched some of his new stuff like uh, Family Romance, LLC. I'm just fascinated by the man now. And I just think he is, um, he calls himself, he doesn't call himself an artist, does he? He calls himself like a soldier, I think, or something. <laughs> I, I just think he's so, um, he's so, crea- like, such a creative I don't know. There's just something mm-hmm. so, he just does what he wants and he puts his mind to something and he sort of doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks. And that is just yeah. very inspiring to me.
3: Have you seen the one where he eats his shoe?
2: <laughs> I haven't seen the one where he Jason, eats his shoe. Jason, you've seen that
3: one, right? You've seen that one? He... I've heard about that yeah. one. I have not seen it yet. He though. loses a bet and then he cooks his boot and eats it. <laughs> It's that. cool. That's something a up. man would do. I mean, like not to make it t- that's a cheap joke that I just made, but it just yeah. does feel that way to me. Like
2: Yeah. Sure. I mean there's some truth in that you could there's, do there's, that there's or you that could comment.
3: also not do that and yeah, yeah that would be fine too.
2: <laughs> but if anyone if anyone was going to eat their shoe, like there's a multiple choice test of like which person here totally. ate their shoe in a bit. Totally. Like Herzog's the top of that page. <laughs> totally. totally. <Yeah. laughs> he it's it's he's a marvel.
1: I just, anyway, yeah. I just wanted to bring him up. I know you haven't, you know, it's not like you write about him every day or anything, but you, yeah. you had written about him. And I just, I'm just a sort of, I mean, I'm obviously in a Herzog phase at the moment, I think much like you with the dinosaurs. And uh, I'm finding, I'm finding going back and exploring his work, just really, really inspiring at the moment. I'm just really enjoying it.
3: Well, there is kind of a connection to the stuff we were talking about before, because he made the movie about the cave paintings at Lascaux, right? And like, yes, that is, you know, one of the things we have from the first humans right there you go see we've brought
1: you've like a true journalist you've brought it full circle
2: (laughs) deep
3: time is like the most interesting thing i mean i've also been (laughs) with my kid i'm reading about the ice age and it just like really puts our lives in a lot of i mean i just think just thinking so much about how brief this this journey is
1: yes and i read just the other day right this is this and then we'll move on okay. i read that we live for the an average of 4000 weeks and we spend so many of those weeks just doing like things that we don't just sort of living but like not really doing anything that we want and it was an article about a uh, focusing on how every week you should do something for you you should do like something that's out of your comfort zone um because you know many of us have only got about two thousand left now and it's like as i read that i thought i need what what can i do what can i go and do for myself yeah. now
3: this is really a lot to take in. Like yeah. reading, reading about the dinosaurs and the ice Age. is like a lot to take in. But I'm glad we wrote our books, you know, and can talk about them because that also <laughs> means something.
0: It does. It absolutely does. <laughs> uh, and now it's time. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching.
1: other people's books because it's time for the book off and this is where each of you is going to get 3 minutes on our clock to tell us about a book that you love and that you think that we should all read and I'm very careful to never say your favorite book because I just don't think that's fair I could I couldn't answer that question or if I did it would change week by week anyway and I do think also there's a difference between a book that we should all read and a favorite book I think that that is a different distinction so we need to do a bit of admin uh, to find out who's going first, who's going second, etc., etc. But first, first, first of all, let's find out which two books you're putting up. So, Christine, what is your choice for the book off?
3: Um, I chose The Copenhagen Trilogy by Tove Ditlifson.:
1: Fantastic. What about you, Jason? Um, I chose Monsters by Barry Windsor Smith. Great. OK. I'm excited to hear these two. So... Christine, would you like to go first or do you want to see what Jason's got and then
3: I go want to second? see what Jason's got. I want to go second. Oh,
1: terrible, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> totally unfair. <laughs> uh, and Jason, you get three minutes, which you don't have to use, by the way, but. I'm oh, sure I won't. i <laughs> sure I won't use all Well, three. You, you never know because I've had a lot of people say that and then when it gets to three minutes they're like i haven't even started yet um <laughs> when we get to the three minute mark i will either be honking you out or ringing you out with the school
2: bell now which one would you prefer for your three minutes um the the honker i think the honker would be most uh um attention a very there.
1: good choice sir a very good choice all right <laughs> so um Me and Christine are going to be quiet now. We're going to hand the reins over to you, Jason. And it's uh, three minutes on the clock, if you want to use them all, to tell us about Monsters.
2: Over to you. All right, cool. No pressure, though, right? (laughs) Um, So Monsters is a graphic novel, so if you're looking to sound cool when you talk to your friends that you're reading graphic novels, this is one of the best choices you can go for. It is by an artist named Barry Windsor Smith, who I have followed for literally my entire life. Uh, He began writing, he began doing his art in comic books back in the 50s and 60s, 60s, late 60s, late 60s, early 70s. Um, But he inspired a lot of the contemporary versions of what we think of Conan the Barbarian and even X-Men and things like that. And then he got really into a lot of um, Arthurian age, folklore and mythology, like really beautiful, highly detailed images of that work. And so he's been writing monsters apparently for about 30 years and drawing it over and over again restarting it failing and starting again so it's kind of become his magnum opus so it is the story of a soldier who goes off into world war ii post-world war ii and he's the subject of a bit of a weird american experiment to kind of build this super soldier so it kind of hints at captain america kind of a deconstruction of that but what the story really becomes about is the home life of of this this boy and his mother when he was younger, and his father returning from uh, World War II, a bit of a broken man. And it becomes a story about the home life that occurs there where the father returns and is very abusive, and the mother is trying her best to hold the family together. And the young boy, Billy, is trying his best just to survive and to make sense of what his father has become since coming home from the war. And so it creates this really interesting perspective on what monsters are. Um, You know, on the front, it kind of front loads it as the monster being this grotesque Frankenstein monster that gets created through this experiment. But you quickly learn the monster is actually the war and the impact that it has on this family and what that family is left with in the wake of that. Um, It's really, really beautiful, well done. Like his artistic style is extremely high detail. So like there are panels in it and pages in it that you know just took months of cross hatching it's all just pure ink and you know white space, and it's really impactful to me. There were times when I had to put it down just because of the gravitas and the heaviness and how hard it kind of impacted me as a reader. And there are painfully few books that had that effect on me. And so that is why I think Monsters by Barry Windsor-Smith. Oh, and he's also a UK national. He's born in the UK, so there's another tip for all of our UK listeners: <laughs> to be biased towards his book. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, you, you, you are right, you did that with
1: uh, with 25 seconds to go actually, so you know oh, you okay. it, it does go fast <laughs> that was pretty fast um, love the sound of that, let's come back and talk about it very shortly, you can have a little break now Jason, you can have a rest um, Christine, I'm resetting the clock uh, putting three minutes back on for you to tell us about the Copenhagen Trilogy, over to you well,
3: so I guess I have a kind of opposite um, selling point, which is um, not, it was so good I had to put it down, but it was so good I couldn't put it down. <laughs> um, this, um, I'll tell you a little bit about what the Copenhagen Trilogy is. It's three memoirs by Tove Ditlevsen, who was a Danish poet and writer. Um, the first two volumes were originally published in 1967. And the last um, in 1971. And they were recently translated, I think first in the UK by Penguin, and more recently here in the States by FSG. Um, The book is pretty amazing. At first, you kind of think you're reading just an ordinary buildings roman about an artist, kind of you see in the in the childhood volume, she's a little girl, kind of growing up and misunderstood by her family and having, you know, adventures that a child has. And then She discovers her talent for poetry and her love of poetry. And then through these series of accidents, she um, finds her way into the literary world. But then in the third volume, this man enters her life and it really is like we meet the devil. You know, it's like the book just kind of goes through this door and her life just goes through this door and we go through it and there's just like no ground. There's no floor there and everything just starts falling you know, and she becomes, um, because of this man, she becomes addicted to Demerol. And the last, you know, maybe quarter of the book is just this like freight train of um, just kind of horror, you know, and like, uh, because Ditlofsson is this incredibly gifted poet, the images are just so vivid. So it's like, um, you know, like somebody's eyes are like, clear like they've just been washed or somebody's dressed like they just came out of a burning building. So there's like the level of language is just like extraordinary and then just what happens is so spellbinding that you you can't put it down. And when I was finishing the book, I was finishing it on the subway and I got to my stop in the spring and I had 30 pages left. And I did something that I don't think I've ever done before, which is I stood on the street to finish it. You know, because I was like I am so transfixed. And, um, you know, my mom was at home with my baby, and I was like, I can't go home and, like, have to interact with people and get into this other headspace. Like, I have to stay here in this, like, gothic fairy tale. Um, and I think just think she's, like, an extraordinary writer. And there's something about the way she does addiction and, like, the sort of transcendence of the drug, but also it's, like, real horror that... I just like, I, I, when I finished the book, I was actually kind of trembling. Like it's actually physically shaking. And I do think that is really what I'm looking for in a book. Like I'm really looking to like, be totally rocked by it physically and just like learn new things about what it is to be a human being. So that's the Copenhagen trilogy.
1: Brilliant. Oh, you brought it in two seconds under the wire, Christine. Yes. Like Like some sort of pro. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well done. Thank you both for those fantastic pictures. Um, Jason, I love a graphic novel. Oh, I tell you what, I'm doing an event this evening, actually, on the eve of recording this, about a new graphic novel. I got into them when I was 10, I think, 2000 AD, um, and just find them just wonderful pieces of art and literature, like the combination of everything. But I haven't heard of Monsters, so... it you said it was 30 years in the making is it
2: is it relatively new oh yes it came out in april like it is fresh hot off the presses wow um yeah and it's it's, it's interesting because he's he's a bit of a reclusive he reminds me of cormac mccarthy you know he doesn't do many interviews he doesn't show up for things and like he goes on radio silence for literally like seven years and then it's like boom here's a book bye for another seven years and <laughs> wow. it's like how do you do okay. that it's wow. so cool <laughs> So is this are you taking a leaf out of this book and just you, you're just not going to turn up for a few things
1: now, Jason? Going forward, that's the goal. right? Yeah. That's, the,
2: that's the goal of writing to just get that status where you can just publish your book and disappear, just, and then come back ten years later and publish another one. It'd be so good.
1: But I mean the the fact that it has taken you know thirty years or more than thirty years to arrive, and the the way you describe that sort of high detail, like the inking and everything, gosh, I just it's made me just want to see it you know like I'm, I'm sort of desperate to see it and read the story which um it sounds it sounds like a very sort of different story to what you'd assume a graphic novel is about as well I think sounds pretty original
2: yeah it is it's very original it is very grim and very dark um like I say it's meant to I mean the the, the title says it all and I think it's easy to underestimate that title um, I think people people often equate graphic novels with comic books and rightfully yeah. so sometimes but the graphic novel space is such a unique way of interacting with the brain and the, the emotions and the body of the reader um, that it 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 it's, it affected me in ways that few books ever have. Like I say, it's it's rare for me to get a book where I need to put it down and just kind of like decompress and yeah. read, kind of get back to where I was, and I love that. Like that's the thing I I really liked about it, where it's like I don't I need to stop for now, and I love the fact that I need to stop.
1: Yeah, I know that's amazing, and I I really love what you said about the title as well of being you know of, of us on the surface thinking that the the soldier that's come back from war the dad is is the is the monster but actually no like we've got to we've got to relook at what that means and what's caused it and who what's the actual monster there. i love it um fantastic that sounded really great thank you so much for that and I, I, i'll be honest with you i think christine this this <laughs> the copenhagen trilogy sounds equally incredible i mean the fact that you stood on the street corner to finish it um that that in, and the, that you were trembling at the end. All these things, like, I mean, that's an amazing thing to happen, right? That's an incredible experience.
3: It's just crazy what some people can do with language. You know, like, <laughs> I could not. I mean, this this doesn't have to be about me, but I could not do with language what Tove Lipson did with language. It just it astonishes me.
1: And the the third volume, the the nineteen seventy one volume, where we, as you said, meet the devil um is that is that the one that is just like you know un, unput downable or are they all like
3: that? I think that they're all really gripping um and they're short so the whole book i think is like three hundred and fifty pages so each oh, individual volume is you know like a kind of novella so it doesn't it's not you know like reading a thousand page memoir or something um i think that there i felt like i was totally committed to the book and then it took this left turn and took me into like a a totally different place
1: i mean it sounds brilliant i want to read both of these um and yeah
3: i want to read monster now too it sounds incredible
1: yeah um and i want to i want to read these books that you know left you feeling like that christine and you know this amazing language that she uses and everything oh uh, but i got to, i can only i can only pick one I can i only pick one for the
2: oh high um, stakes
3: high stakes situation oh, high
2: stakes and you know
3: <laughs> what do we win
2: what ha- you win pride <laughs> that's a great question christine what do we
1: win <laughs> you, you, you win the pride oh, no. of winning is that good enough? No, that does
2: I I get the sense that that wasn't the answer you were both looking for. <laughs> yeah, winning winning the prize can be very ominous. It can be very, it can be a very ominous thing to say. No one tells you what you're winning. She's like, you won the prize. I so, remember, okay, do I get, to um, get murdered
0: tomorrow by someone?
2: Yeah, exactly, the prize, the prize dot dot dot. It's like, Okay,
1: I remember um, an author a couple of series ago said, "Oh, I, I want to win the, you know, the, the, the bell." And I was like, "There's no way you're getting these. These are <laughs> these oh, are very precious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No chance, mate." Look, I think I think it's almost a draw, if I'm honest, and I'm not. I'm not just saying that to, to to you know try and stay friends. But do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to monsters, and the reason Ooh. is, other than. Uh, but a great pitch I think that we I th- I really do think we got champion graphic novels a little bit more I think I think we should try and put them into the hands of more readers because I do think there's as you sort of alluded to there's a, there's a comic booky, uh, you know f- thing that people think oh it's, f- it's just you know kid stuff or whatever and it's like no 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 like when you when you get the right thing which sounds like Monsters is it's an amazing piece of literature but Christy, I'm I've already written down the uh, the Copenhagen trilogy because I'm gonna be ordering it now. So, you know, you know, you've, don't even bother. You've sort of won don't it.
3: even <laughs> just like, you know, just forget it. Just forget <laughs> it. He like Jason's book better. It's fine. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just kidding. That's... I totally I totally want to read it too. So I
1: <laughs> that's mine and Christy's relationship over with now. Never mind. Never mind. Dead to me. <laughs> it was it was a good friendship for 45 minutes. I mean, hey. <laughs> Hello book by jason mott is out now it's published by trapeze and the life of the mind by christine smallwood is also out it's published by europa editions um i could talk about these books all day i could talk with both of you all day but we've come to the end of our time and it's been an absolute pleasure jason christine thanks so much for being here and for taking buying book off terrific thanks for having me thank you